0: the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message,
1: here is our teacher. The final three chapters of Daniel gives us the account of God's last word to his faithful servant. Chapter 10, it gives us the backdrop. It tells us how the vision came to Daniel. Then we have the vision itself in the last two chapters of Daniel. This final encounter was a traumatic experience for Daniel. Bible's open to Daniel 10, and we start with verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is, the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of euphaz. His body was like beryl. His face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like the torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore, I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, "O oh, Daniel, man, greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Back in. April of 1998, a series of tornadoes ripped through the southern part of the United States. A day after one of the storms hit, a national radio program carried the story about a church that had been destroyed in one of these storms. The children in this church had been in a choir rehearsal for a children's choir at the time of the storm hitting. The pastor saw the storm coming, so he gathered all the kids in the main hallway and they huddled together as the storm ripped the building apart. The pastor was trying to keep the kids calm, so he led them in the song, Jesus Loves the Little Children. Some of the kids were hurt, but the miracle, according to many, was that not a one of these kids was killed. One of the little girls reported that, quote, while we were singing, I saw angels holding up the hallway, but the winds were so strong that the angels shouted, we need help and some more angels came to help. According to this little girl, the angels kept the hallway of this church intact while the storm destroyed the rest of the building. A heartwarming story, to be sure, but here is something I would like you to consider. I was not there. You were not there. We have the word of one frightened little girl. Be careful what you build your faith on. Another story, much the same, said to be true. It tells of a Norwegian missionary by the name of Marie Monson, who served in China in the 1950s. She testified to the intervention of angels when some Christians were in great danger. They had taken refuge in the mission compound only to be surrounded by soldiers that were looting. The Christians were astonished to find that they were left alone in peace. A few days later, they found out from one of the men that was looting outside the compound that they were ready to break down the flimsy wall when they noticed tall soldiers with shining faces high on a roof in the compound. Marie Monson wrote, The heathens saw them. It was a testimony to them, but they were invisible to us. Allow me to give you one more. In 1960, There was a major uprising in Kenya. Missionaries Matt and Laura Higgins were returning one night to Nairobi. They had to go through a territory where other missionaries had already been brutally killed. Seventeen miles outside of Nairobi, their Land Rover stopped. Higgins tried to repair the car in the dark, but he couldn't get it started. They spent the night in the car. They just kept reciting and praying Psalm 4.8 that says, I will lie down and sleep in peace, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. In the morning, they were able to repair the car and continued on their way. A few weeks later, back on furlough in the States, they reported that the night before they left Nairobi, a local pastor came to them, telling the story that a man had confessed to him that he, along with three other men, they crept up to the car to kill the Higgins. But when they got close, they saw 16 men surrounding the car, so they left. Matt Higgins told the pastor no one else was there. They didn't see anyone. Their conclusion was that God's angels stood guard. These are the types of stories that come to us. Books, movies, testimonies of angelic protection. Could some of them be true? I think so. Could it also be that some in our day have a focus on angels that is not healthy? Again, I think we must answer yes. These testimonies of angelic intervention are not on trial. I'm not here to debate them. I'm here to warn that we need to be careful. Build your understanding of God's created order. Build your theology on a solid foundation. Angels walk among us, Hebrews 13 but they are mere servants of God. And even though there are times when the Word of God gives us a glimpse into the things that we normally do not see, it does not mean we worship angels, and it does not mean that we abandon the absolute certainty of God's Word. The Word of God, it proves itself. It confirms itself. It gives us the unshifting authority of God. It is the basis for our beliefs our faith. And so that is where we must build our understanding of the spiritual battle that is raging. Let's do that right now in Daniel chapter 10. Verse 1 is packed with information. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel whose name was called Belteshazzar. Now let's stop there for just a moment. Every step of the way, Daniel helps us out. Daniel sets up the background. The third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Remember back to the teaching from the start of chapter 6 and chapter 9. Babylon had now fallen. Medo-Persia was now in charge. Darius ruled over the old Babylonian empire, while Cyrus was king over the entire Medo-Persian empire. This included the old Babylonian empire and the rest of Medo-Persia. It is now about two years after Gabriel appeared to Daniel in chapter 9. At this point, Daniel is about 84 years old. And keep in mind in chapter 9, we saw that Daniel had prayed for the people to be allowed to go back and rebuild the temple. Make your way, if you would, to Second Chronicles chapter 36. One of the constant themes that you see in Second Chronicles 36 is that the final kings of Judah, did evil in the sight of the Lord. In verse 6 of Second Chronicles 36, we see Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon come against Jerusalem. God sent messengers to warn the people, but they wouldn't listen. So we see this description in verses 17, 18, and 19 of all that God allowed to happen to the people. The temple was burned, the wall of Jerusalem broken down. The people that lived through it were hauled off to Babylon, verse 20 tells us, until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. Pick it up with verse 22 in Second Chronicles 36. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all his people. May the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. So what we learn is that sometime soon after Daniel prayed in chapter 9, the Lord answered by having the king of Persia make a decree to rebuild the temple in 538 B.C. The opening words of Ezra chapter 1 tell us the same thing, almost word for word. Some of the Jews had gone back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple about two years before chapter 10 starts in Daniel. The captivity had ended. Daniel was still living in Babylon. And by the way, this is about the same time that chapter 6 took place with Daniel and the lion's den. Think of the human drama, Hebrew people packing up and leaving Babylon. Many stayed in Babylon, some like Daniel, probably because he was too old to make the trip. But the vast majority of people that stayed, they'd been born in Babylon. This had become their home, and many of the Jewish people had carved out a good living in Babylon. Why go back when business was so good? Why go back when life was so good, other than to follow the God of their people? Many chose to take the easy way out of giving money to the cause of the temple instead of getting involved themselves. As you make your way back to Daniel, we are reminded from Daniel himself that he was called Belteshazzar. Why? Well, it goes all the way back to chapter one. It was the Babylonian name given to Daniel when he was taken into Babylon. Bel, one of their false gods, it meant Bel protect the king. Roughly 70 years later, all that time had gone by. The Babylonian Empire was no longer in power. Nebuchadnezzar was long gone, but Daniel was still known by the name given to him. Now, The rest of verse one in Daniel is telling us that this authentic message from the God of the Hebrew people, it came to Daniel. Focus on the end of verse one. The text tells us, but the appointed time was long. The Hebrew could be translated long, but more likely. It means here, of great conflict. The context shows us that this would be a better translation. Verse 1 would then be saying, The message was true, but the appointed time was of great conflict. Daniel received revelation about a period of time that would involve great conflict and trouble for the people of God. Great conflicts in history for the nation of Israel were yet to come. Go back to chapter 9. Remember the words of the second half of verse 25, Daniel nine twenty-five. the prophecy about Jerusalem. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome times. This prophecy in chapter 9, it came to Daniel just before it happened, and two years before the events of chapter 10. Israel would go back to the land. They were now underway in chapter 10, but it was troublesome times. The efforts to rebuild the temple had begun, but it already stopped because of the opposition the Hebrew people faced from the people living in the land. Back in chapter 10 now, Daniel still in Babylon, any hope that Daniel had that Israel would enjoy peace for very long would be shattered by this vision from God. Great conflicts in history for the nation of Israel were yet to come. War would come. Alexander the Great would dominate the world. And Antiochus Epiphanes would come and defile the very temple of God. Daniel understood the message from God. Daniel comprehended the revelation given. He got it. He understood what this meant for his people. Here's how it all started for Daniel. Verse 2 in your text. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. The timeline involved in these verses just continues to build my faith in how accurate the word of God is. Daniel starts by saying in verse 2, in those days. And we just looked at verse 1, which told us that this happened in Cyrus's third year. Verse 4 is going to tell us in a few minutes that it happened on the 24th day of the first month of that year, which means that it happened on the 24th day of the month of Nisan. Verses 2 and 3 would be the days leading up to the 24th of that month. And Daniel tells us that he was mourning for this period of three weeks. Why? Well, for a few different reasons. Verse 12 is going to tell us that Daniel was fasting in order to humble himself before God and because he wanted to understand the plan of God for his people. So pay attention to the wording here. Verse 2, three full weeks. Verse 3, three whole weeks. The wording in both places is three weeks of days. This is how we know we have moved on from the idea of weeks of years in chapter 9. The word of God is clear on this point, but remember what was happening while the Hebrew people were back in Jerusalem attempting to rebuild the temple. The Samaritans were causing all kinds of problems for them. Ezra teaches us the altar had been set up. The foundation of the temple had been laid, but work had come to a stop. Now this caused some heartache. And when the news reached Daniel, he was filled with grief. He mourned. And during this time of mourning, Daniel fasted the good food, the meat and the wine that he normally had as a governor and as a high ranking official in Babylon. He abstained for three weeks. Now, the suggestion is that Daniel still ate, but he limited himself and he didn't anoint himself. Now, that's a strange expression to our ears. Understand the climate. We're talking about modern day Iraq. We're talking about the hot desert. You anointed yourself every day in a hot, dry climate. Your skin, it needed it. And if you mourned, if you grieved over something, you would show it by fasting. This wasn't done to manipulate God. It was a demonstration of the heart, a demonstration of Daniel's humility before God. Fasting wasn't done as a ritual. It indicates a person is broken before God because of a great burden a burden that overrules the desire for the nicer things of life. Most of the Hebrew people still lived in Babylon, living the good life with very little concern for Jerusalem. Of those that had gone back, the work had already stopped on the temple. Danger loomed around every corner for God's people. Daniel mourned. It was a hostile world to people of faith, and most of the people had a half-hearted commitment to their God. The visions from chapter 8 and 9, they were circling through Daniel's mind. The times of the Gentiles were here. He could not know when the Greeks foretold and prophecy would come. He could not know when the Romans would turn against God's people. The Hebrew people were scattered and most of them seemed to care less about the sovereign grace of God. Of the prophecy of chapter 9, it told Daniel that it would be almost five centuries before the Messiah would come. And even then, he had been told the Messiah would be cut off. Daniel fasted. Daniel prayed. He lost his appetite. For three weeks, he sought the Lord. And then the answer came. Verse 4 Now, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is, the Tigris. I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of euphaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. Verse 4 explains the timing for us. Verse 4 starts on the 24th day of the first month. Three weeks of fasting prior to this. The timing of Daniel's fast based on Exodus 12 lines up with the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. The Passover was the 14th of the month. The Passover was on the 14th of Nisan. The Passover celebrated the deliverance of Israel from bondage to another nation. Do you see the significance? Daniel wanted this again for his people. The Passover was followed by the seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, running from the 15th to the 21st of the month. The Passover in this feast came during Daniel's fast. Verse 4, you know, it reminds me of the old story of an organ in a large church. That broke down one Sunday morning just before the services were about to begin. A member of the congregation happened to repair organs and he immediately went to work. It was a simple electrical problem. And when he finally got it fixed, it was just about the middle of the sermon. And so he quietly passed a note to the organist, which read, After prayer, the power will be on. Daniel, he knew the power of prayer. He prayed three times every day. He prayed in his room in the lion's den. He prayed for wisdom, for guidance. He prayed that God would forgive the sins of his people and return them to their land. And now we find Daniel broken in prayer before the Creator. In verse 4, notice with me that Daniel was by the side of the great river, the Tigris. Not in the vision. Daniel was physically standing there. Other men were with him. Now, the Tigris River did not run through the city of Babylon. The closest it got was about 25 miles from it. So we know Daniel had left the city. He called it the Great River. It's easy to see why. It's over 1,100 miles long. Daniel looks up and behold, a certain man clothed in linen. Now, this kind of reminds us of a play when the curtain is closed. You don't see what is taking place behind the curtain. And if you didn't know better, you might never realize that while the curtain is closed, the props are being brought out, the scenery has changed, and the actors, they take their positions. But every once in a while, somebody slips up and the curtain is accidentally pulled back. And you get to see what is taking place behind the scenes. That's almost what God is doing here. Except it's not an accident. God pulled back the curtain to give us a glimpse so we can see what is normally hidden from us. The description of this man causes many to think this was Christ. It wasn't. First, because we do see in the Bible that angels are described like this. In Matthew 28, an angel is described as having a countenance like lightning with clothing as white as snow. Revelation 15.6 describes angels with pure, bright linen, having chests girded with golden bands. Daniel's description fits with what we see of the angels in the Word of God. And second, verse 13 eliminates this idea that this could have been the pre-incarnate Christ because this man needed the assistance of Michael to stand up to the forces of darkness, to stand up to a demon of Persia. So if it is not Christ, many turn to the angel, Gabriel. He appeared to Daniel in chapters 8 and 9. Might have been, but it does leave you wondering why Gabriel would be named in those chapters, but not here. This was an angel, of that we can be sure. Now verse 5, it tells us he had a waist girded with gold. The wording suggests a girdle woven with gold thread. His body was like beryl, a reference to a precious gem. Daniel saw a reflection of the glory of heaven in this angel that visited him. Keep in mind, as we go through this, Daniel was trying to describe the indescribable. He was trying to put, in human terms, what this beautiful angelic being looked like. And you have to remember that even the priests of Israel, the clothing they wore, it set them apart as servants of God. And that is kind of the idea with this angelic being. His face was like the appearance of lightning and his eyes were like torches of fire. The idea is penetrating insight. His arms and feet were like burnished bronze in color. And the sounds of his words like the voice of a multitude. When this angel spoke, it sounded like a crowd speaking in unison. Strength is conveyed a deep authoritative voice, this was a messenger from God. Verse seven, and I, Daniel, alone saw the vision for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore, I was left alone when I saw this great vision and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me and I retained no strength. There are some details here that leave us wishing we could know more. In verse 7, this is described as a vision, giving the impression that maybe this angel did not physically show up, that this was something Daniel only saw in a vision. But yet we learn in the coming verses that the angel touched Daniel to strengthen him, giving us the impression that this angel Physically appeared, and the fact that the men were scared away, it points us in the same direction that something happened, that this was more than just a dream vision. The other men were kept from seeing this angel, it affected them. Great terror fell upon them. They went and hid. And look at the impact that this had upon Daniel. Verse 8 teaches us he was left alone, no strength remained in him. His vigor. Or a better translation would be his appearance. It changed to frailty. The wording is blunt. It conveys the idea that his appearance, it changed to a death-like paleness with a grotesque wrenching of the face. Quite the mental picture it leaves you with. It highlights the frailty of man. It highlights the power of God. It shows the strength of his angelic beings. Daniel was left helpless before this messenger of God pick up our text with verse nine. Yet I heard the sound of his words. And while I heard the sounds of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. Daniel fainted. He was overcome by the presence of this messenger of God. Visions of this caliber are given to very few, and so it is left to us to learn from what took place in these moments when God gave his revelation to man. The power of God and his angelic beings is beyond our understanding. His messenger simply spoke and Daniel was left on the ground. I think when we stand in the very presence of God and his angelic beings, our entire concept of God is going to instantly change. The angel awakens Daniel in verse 10, helping him to get to his hands and knees, trembling, rocking, shaking back and forth. And then in verse 11, we read, And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For I have now been sent to you. And while he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Daniel, man greatly beloved. These are the same words that Gabriel spoke in chapter 9. If you were Daniel, standing face to face with this powerful messenger of God, these words would comfort your soul. Daniel had a heart for God. Daniel had a heart for the glory of God. Understand the words I speak to you, Daniel. Pay attention. Daniel made his way to his feet, wiping away the fog he had fainted. Get up, Daniel. A messenger of God had come with an answer to his prayer. And this is where we leave Daniel standing there, trembling before this angelic being about to receive an answer to his prayer. A story which I can neither confirm nor deny, tells about a mother who wanted to expand her son's interest in music by taking him to hear Paderewski in concert. They entered the music hall, took their seats, but then the mother saw a friend and went off briefly to talk with her, instructing her son to stay put, but he didn't. He began to wander around the concert hall. He found his way backstage and came to a room that said, do not enter. But the kid couldn't read that well, so it didn't stop him. He went in. The house lights dimmed. The mother returned to her seat and the boy was missing. She assumed he made an urgent trip to the bathroom. She decided to wait for a few minutes before panicking. Then the curtain rose, and everyone in the hall saw a small boy seated on the bench of the Steinway Grand Piano, carefully picking out the tune, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Just then, Paderewski appeared. He quickly walked across the stage and stood behind the piano. He leaned in and said quietly to the boy, Keep playing. Don't stop. You're doing just fine. And then with his left hand, he reached around the boy and added some bass chords. While with his right hand, he played runs and broken chords. Together, the great pianist and a little boy made beautiful music. When the curtain is pulled back in scripture, we see that we are seated next to a great musician who is making beautiful music with our lives. He's brought in others to help us in this life. Hebrews refers to the angels as ministering spirits sent forth for those who will inherit salvation. In our next study of Daniel, we're going to see demonic forces rising up with angelic warfare in the heavens. But do you know what this means? It means that when we pray, we turn loose the very powers of heaven. It means that when we pray, we take part in the great spiritual battle that continues to rage behind the scenes. Ephesians 6.12 For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. It means that Angels are working behind the curtain, behind what we can see, fighting on our behalf as believers in Christ Jesus. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He is the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Ephesians 2. Satan has a plan to rule the nations. Satan has a plan to rule his people. He continues to march forward, but we stand firm in Christ knowing the day will come when Satan will be cast into the lake of fire, doomed for eternal judgment, apart from a holy God. And until that day, we stand firm in Christ, putting to use the spiritual armor that he has given us. Our salvation, our faith, our ability to live in the righteousness of Christ the peace we have in Christ, the hope we have in Christ, the Spirit of God living in us, the Word of God and prayer. You know, when David stood before Goliath, he told Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, You have come to me with a sword, with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And then... David said just a little further down in the text, this assembly, listen, this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. We face the same truth. The spiritual armor of God means we are able to stand even with the wickedness that surrounds us. But the battle, it does not belong to us because a greater one is coming. He's at work in our lives right now. And the day is approaching when he will slay the forces of darkness with a simple, spoken word. Stand firm in Christ. Know that the battle belongs to him. And be thankful for the work he continues to do, one note at a time in our lives. We often get asked for more information on the end times. Well, the good news is that we wrote a book titled What Lies Ahead, which is an overview from the Bible of the end times. You can find it on Amazon and you can find all the different formats it is offered in on our website, return That book again is What Lies Ahead. And if you've read it, leave us a review on Amazon. It helps us to tell others about this Wonderful resource for studying about God's plan for the end times. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Return to the Word. Return to the
0: Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word Pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.